This past week, we have been reminded, often painfully, of how little people's lives and beings are valued. How there are those who do not even consider people, people. So I share this morning two articulations of the belief that every person has worth. One from the founder of ethical culture and one from a Haitian proverb. From Felix Adler, the conception of worth that each person is an end per se is not a mere abstraction. Our interest in it is not merely academic. Every outcry against the oppression of some people by other people or against what is morally hideous is the affirmation of the principle that a human being as such is not to be violated. A human being is not to be handled as a tool, is to be respected and revered. The Haitian proverb says much the same thing in fewer words. Tout monde monde. All people are people. I invite you now to join in singing this morning. My sister up, she is not heavy. I'm gonna lift my sister up, she is not heavy. I'm gonna lift my sister up, she is not heavy. If I don't lift her up, if I
welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Zeb Green, the clergy intern here, and my pronouns are he and him. I'm so glad to have you here this morning, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. And today we'd like to ask those on Facebook to just simply comment that you're watching so we can get a sense of who you are and who's in our community with us today. Visitors and guests, we hope that you have a blue name tag on so we can welcome you and know who you are and answer any questions that you might have. We all love talking about this community and why it's so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you and what you are looking for today. We hope that you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and social hall, and please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet in your program so we can add you to our mailing list. You can drop it in the collection basket later in this platform service. I'd like to remind everyone to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be more fully present this morning. And while you have your phones out, please feel free to check in on social media. I'd now like to invite Kelly to come forward and read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our values in each other's words. And Kelly is with our board of trustees, who we are honored. Microphone, yes, thank you. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive for our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With, fi with, faith, in with faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. If you are new to our community of children and adults, we warmly invite you to join us as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Kelly. As Kelly lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candle lighting words. May we kindle with us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. We ring this bell with the people of the world, especially today we remember those in Texas who yet again are struck by gun violence. And we remember the protesters who lost their lives at the Gaza Strip. As we listen to this chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and for our love.
invite you all now into a time of meditation. Take the time to settle into your seats, closing your eyes or letting your gazes gently soften. Take a deep breath in. And let it out. Breathing in. And breathing out. As we breathe, take a moment to imagine the world. Imagine it as it is, with all of its hurts and its joys. Now think about what it could be, what our dreams are, and where we can go. What might it look like if we all lived our values? What would a world that honors the inherent worth of all people look like? Breathing in. Breathing out. How can we go to that world? How can we build it together?
Many of my uh, preacher friends have been talking on Facebook last night, yesterday and last night, about um, our concern about going up in front of people after Bishop Curry at the <laughs> royal wedding. <laughs> I'm not sure how many of you got up at um, 6 in the morning, as I did, to watch the royal wedding, um, prepared to enjoy the hats, which I, I did enjoy the hats, but uh, I was unprepared to have a, a word of... Uh, love and justice and, in fact, liberation theology from the um, uh, fantastic Episcopal bishop who was invited to deliver the um, what really turned out to be a sermon at the wedding. I'm not sure that the British royalty was prepared for that either. Uh, <laughs> if, you, um, if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to do so um, and make sure that you watch one um, where you can pan on the faces of the monarchy and aristocracy as um, Bishop Curry talks about uh, the world as it should be and the world as it is, those two pieces that are so far apart from each other and so much a part of what we do together, right? Noticing the world as it is and the world as it should be and living somehow in the middle of that, in between the world as it is, the one that we have right now around us, and the world as it should be, the one that we hope to build, as our chorus just sang for us um, with that beautiful song. That piece is actually from um, Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, he wrote those words. And, um, you know, it's funny, people often talk about that particular song as being kind of triumphalist. And I love the setting that the chorus used today because I think it takes the, um, the piece from triumphalist to yearning in some ways, to a wish, um, a wish. And it's perfect for today. This is our Founders Day in ethical societies all across the country today. Um, which, granted, is like 23 other ethical societies, right? We know we're a little small movement, but by golly, all of us are celebrating Founders Day today. It is the Sunday closest to the date in May 1876 when Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, gave his founding address. And I always recommend to new folks and longtime members that you read the founding address. You can find it online, and it's only four or five pages. Um, and I actually think it's quite inspiring and beautiful. I know I'm kind of a nerd about those things. But, um, and uh, as you might know, Felix Adler um, gave that address, this sort of, um, truly, he, 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 in his very first address, articulated that he was creating a new movement, that he was founding a new tradition here, a new way of being in the world um, at the age of 24, um, as one does. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we celebrate that Founders Day, and we celebrate, in fact, the founder. So I wanted to share with you a picture of Felix Adler. Here he is, um, looking just very Felix Adler-y, um, <laughs> really. Um, and, and a quote, one of the ones um, you know, that, that is frequently pointed to, the right for the right's sake is the motto, which everyone should take for his own life. I was going to say we'll forgive him for that. We don't really forgive him for it, but we understand it <laughs> for his own life. With that as a standard of value, we can descend into our hearts, appraise ourselves, and determine in how far we already are moral beings, in how far not yet. He was 
uh, uh, fun guy, Felix Adler. Um, pretty pretty uh, playful. No, um, no, he wasn't actually playful at all, I don't think. Um, he was, as you can see from this um, quote, though, deeply committed to the seriousness of purpose that his movement held. The idea of looking within our hearts and examining our lives and our actions and our thoughts to see whether we meet our standard of value, the right for the right's sake. So um, that Felix Adler, our Felix Adler, was actually not the only Felix Adler out there. And so I wanted in this month of playfulness to introduce you to the other Felix Adler as well. And I'll offer a trigger warning um, I, oh gosh, I forgot the name. If you have, I think it's um, Phorophobia. Um, uh, because, uh, so here's the other Felix Adler. There we go. <laughs> Felix B. Adler, um, who lived uh, concurrently with our Felix Adler, although a little bit later, is someone afraid of clowns? That's the, yeah. Um, <laughs> Felix B. Adler, who was known as the King of Clowns. Actually, interestingly, his wife was a clown too. And they had the first um, independent uh, husband and wife clown act um, in America. Like, great job, Felix B. Adler. Um, Felix B. Adler had a different look than our Felix Adler, as you can tell. And um, this quote is from Wikipedia, which has a nice little article on him. His exclusive face, so a clown's makeup can actually, I think, probably, I don't know if it was in the early 19th century, but I suspect now it can actually be trademarked, it's right? In that time, there is a particular painting that clowns do. So his exclusive face was easily differentiated by other clowns, um, from other clowns, by a sparkling rhinestone embedded in the tip of his red putty nose. So I just want to give you a chance to enjoy his sparkling rhinestone <laughs> on his red putty nose there. Thank you, Jen, for giving uh, us through those slides. So the two Felix. Adlers, who as far as I know, never met each other. And it's not actually unusual that there are two. Adler's a very common name in, um, in Germany, and I, I suppose Felix was as well. And um, I don't know that they knew each other. They did live uh, at the same time. Felix B. Adler was a little bit uh, later than Felix Adler, who founded Ethical Culture. Um, but they, in some ways, hold within them Right, the sort of archetypes of the serious moral study that's often associated with ethical culture and the complete silliness that is often associated with clowndom. Um, the sort of playfulness and, you know, putting rhinestones on the end of your red putty nose. Adler was in no way a clown. He, he was actually a deeply earnest and serious person. Um, he was known every summer for taking vacations up in upstate New York. He had, um, there was property there that was owned by the Ethical Society. And, um, and the description of the vacations were that Professor Adler, as he was often called, would, would like walk through the woods, apparently at a pretty fair clip, right? It was like hale and hearty. And his students would follow along behind him, writing down everything that he said because he would be giving deep philosophical thoughts. He was somebody who thought deeply almost all the time. And if you read the, the articles written about him, if you read his platforms, 
um, or his writing, which was eventually collected into books and then published, you really see that. I, I actually, um, uh, I was doing a little bit of research with the help of my husband last night, and he went down a wormhole and found a, um, a book that was created for Felix Adler um, at the anniversary of the kindergarten he had founded. Adler founded the first free kindergarten east of the Mississippi. There had been one um, in California, I think. Um, and it was a working man's kindergarten. So he just went around with flyers to um, people that were working in factories, inviting their children to come to this free kindergarten. And, um, and the book described that the first day only six children came because word had gotten around that they thought it was a kidnapping venture, um, which it was definitely not. And, and then the second day, it all worked out. And, um, and this little book was actually written, it was so sweet to read, and you, you can find it online, this sort of tribute to Dr. Adler for the work that he did with the kindergartners. There were some humorous anecdotes, I guess, like the kidnapping worry, um, soon alleviated. Um, but then there were also, for instance, a description of the day that he realized that the children coming to the kindergarten hadn't ever had breakfast, and so they were hungry, and so he began providing crackers and milk um, to the children so that they would be able to eat a little bit and be better present then for learning. Um, something which our federal government hasn't still totally figured out, right? Not all of our schools offer that to our children. Um, understanding that uh, an empty stomach does not lead to a full brain. So he was a, a serious Person. And ethical culture is then, therefore, inheritors of that tradition. And we are often a serious tradition, a place that takes seriously the work of um, moral, uh, moral self-awareness, of morality in our own lives and in the world, our relationships with each other and what that means for us and for the world around us. I've often said that um, one of the reasons that I came to Wes 10 years ago was that the search committee, the group of people that were tasked with finding the next person for this role, um, they were the right combination for me of earnest, serious, you know, about what it was that they were doing here in this community, and also silly and fun. They had enough of both Felix Adlers within them. Um, and those of you that knew the members um, of that search committee, um, which included Susan Runner and uh, Christine Parcelli and also Perry Sedman can imagine where some of the <laughs> different Adlerian enjoyment came from, right? Yeah. right? They put, but I think it's such a testament that the community put together people that would embody both the seriousness of mission and also the fun and engagement of work together. And I have found that to be so true here that team meetings and committee meetings almost always include some kind of hilarity and fun, even difficult conversations often hold laughter here as well. I actually did a little crowdsourcing among other leaders and, um, and members of WES for jokes about ethical culture. That's what my husband was originally trying to find on his Google search 
um, ethical culture jokes. There are not a lot of ethical culture jokes on the internet. It turns out it's not a wide range there, um, or actually any. Um, but, I, but I did find some um, that either people knew or that they invented, and I wanted to share them with you. Um, okay, so how many ethical culturists does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Thank you. Yeah. We're gonna you know what? We're going to try that again. We're going to improve your joke response. It's like Bishop Curry and the monarchy. You guys got to do better than that. Okay. How many ethical culturists does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Five. One to change the light bulb and four to make sure the power doesn't go to her head. <laughs> this was cute. This was created by a member of West. I believe she made it up. What did the ethical culture crew team call their boat? What? The Felix Paddler. Oh. It's good. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is a really good one too. Okay, how many ethical culturists does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Oh, I don't have an answer. I was trying to elicit the best punchline from you oh. and therefore from myself. Oh. Isn't that what's the best, right? It's so good. And then one leader told me that she could teach me the ethical culture cheer, which I was really excited to discover there was a cheer I didn't know. Unfortunately, she didn't actually know it. So, um, <laughs> so she told me some of it. It's, it goes like this, soar like an eagle, fly like a vulture, something something, <laughs> ethical culture. <laughs>
I think I'm getting that about right. That I was, it was described to me that this had been a long-standing conversation at West within the Ethical Society about which of these things we wanted to be. And I think now, in our life together as a community now, and, and I suspect in part because of some of the, the work that I do, but certainly that many folks do in this community, I think one of the ways this is alive is in our anti-racism and anti-oppression work and how we as a whole community experience that. When I came to Wes, um, we had been doing certainly some of that work. There was a long uh, commitment to racial justice, but the work was really um, changing and morphing in the broader society, not just at West. And so over those 10 years, more and more folks have engaged in what, what I refer to as um, anti-racism or anti-oppression work, or sometimes anti-racism, anti-oppression of multicultural work, which is then called Aramac work, and nobody really knows what kind of work you're talking about when you say that. It's a confusing acronym. Um, but that work has come more and more into sort of the center of our life together at West. And it's one of the ways that I see that sort of tension alive in us. That there are folks now who, when they come in for the first time, right, to our newcomers' um, classes and talk to me about what it is that brought them to this community, they'll say to me, you know, well, I was looking for a community and I saw your commitment to anti-racism work and that is why I am here. They, they have shown up in this space because that work calls to them. Um, and of course, there are folks who have been here for a long time who are called deeply to that work. And then there are other folks, both longtime members and new members too, all really spans the range who, who say, you know, I understand the importance of that, but, but that's not why I came to this community, right? That's not why I show up here. In fact, they might say something like, it, that's a lot of, a lot of work. And, and it's not what, I came here to do, I came here for community and for respite and for engagement. Now I don't want to suggest, I think that, you know, everybody who comes to West, who comes in reading our mission and wanting to show up in an ethical culture space has a commitment to justice in the world as part of their orientation. But of course we all go about that differently. We have different inclinations and uh, methods of engagement. We, we appreciate doing the work in different ways or not. And so there is this sort of lived tension in the community around that work. And I keep saying work, which I think is the right word, and one of the reasons why it lives in tension for us. Now, I will say that in my experience, that work is often very joyful and can be funny. Actually, my favorite way of learning um, and really deepening my engagement with anti-racism work right now is watching comedians. Some of the best folks out there doing anti-racism stuff are, are comedians. Um, so, so it's not to say that it's all, you know, difficult, painful work, but, but it is work. And so I hold this, um, this response from, from folks within the community and, of course, the whole spectrum in between people with a lived experience that they're here because of that work and folks here with a lived experience that that work is not exactly why they came here, that they're looking for a different way of being and wondering whether they can be here, right? Are they 
welcome. I, I suspect actually folks in both of those places wonder that. What kind of place is Wes anyway, right? Are we this place or this place? Well, if you have been to even one or two of my platforms, you will know that my answer to difficult questions like that, right, when people say, you know, are we this complicated thing? Is this complicated thing true? Or is this complicated thing true? My answer typically is yes. Yes. The answer is yes, right? Yes, all of those things are true, yes. You know, there is space and need and push within this community around anti-racism and anti-oppression. In fact, it's one of our focus goals articulated by the board and staff and lay leaders. We have teams that are working on it that are delving into every aspect of the community to see how we can go deeper and be more inclusive, more aware, and Yes, there is also space in this community for people who carry justice in their heart, who are here because they align with our message and our mission, but who are not quite sure whether that's the reason they came here. I, um, I have been following the Laurel and I can't, I don't even ever hear the other word. What is it that you guys hear? Yanni? Yanni, I never hear it. Laurel and Yanni, Yanni and Laurel. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? The, the, so it's a meme that's been going around Facebook um, and actually the New York Times has covered it so it's legit for me to talk about the platform. Um, <laughs> so there was a recording that some students found um, uh, and, and actually I will say, Team Laurel, the recording is actually of someone saying Laurel. I'm just. I'm just mentioning that, okay? Um, but uh, it was from a description of, of Laurel, the, the plant. Um, but they found this recording which some students, when they listened to it, heard Laurel. And some students, when they listened to it, heard Yanni. And so, of course, they sent this out and it went viral. And, and you can listen to the recording, to the little clip. And I, my whole fam my family is split. My kids only hear Yanni. They don't know what I'm talking about. I only hear Laurel. You know, we're sitting there with each other, going, "What are you? What do you mean? It's Laurel? No, it's Yanni. No, it's Laurel." And of course, the answer is yes, 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 yes. Actually, the New York Times created a pretty cool little tool. It turns out that the reason people hear different things is that different individuals have. Um, are tuned for different uh, frequencies, right, um, uh, of sound. And so if you tend to hear, I think it is, if you hear like bass notes more readily, if your hearing is attuned to bass notes more readily, then you hear laurel, I think. And if your hearing is attuned to treble notes more readily, then you hear Yanni. And so the New York Times created this tool, this little slider, you can go on their website and as you slide it, it it brings out the bass notes or brings out the treble notes, which means that as you slide it over, you're able eventually to hear the other word, right? You're able to hear all the treble that's making other people hear Yanni or all the bass that's making other people hear. 
can see how far it goes, right? That's the thing that I like about it most. It's not a on-off switch, like now you hear Laurel and now everybody hears Yanni, but a slider, a spectrum that goes back and forth. It's a yes kind of tool, I think, that Laurel and Yanni slider. To me, it's a reminder that when we hear things differently, when we yearn for things differently, when we engage with things differently, it's often because we're on some sort of spectrum. And it can help to remember that slider, to use it occasionally, so that we can see more fully the yes in our different experiences. I often think back to a time in Wes's history when Ed Erickson was the leader here. Um, Ed was the leader in the um, 50s through the early, um, uh, early mid-60s, uh, very involved in the civil rights movement, uh, and also really particularly involved in speaking out against the Vietnam War. And uh, he started doing that work at a time when the country was not there yet, right? You know, there was sort of a long period of protest and people joined over uh, many years, as those of you who were alive um, during that time were active yourselves, recalled, uh, recall. And so the thing that's interesting that I've heard from Ed himself and read in our histories is that the whole society was not with him at the start of his work. You know, there were a lot of folks that worked for the federal government and weren't sure about what he was doing. And, um, and he kept speaking in the way that he, um, that he wanted to, um, the way that he felt called. And he also kept making space for the slider, right? For the yes, for there to be conversation and room in the community. And eventually, the majority of the community kind of uh, moved in one direction um, against the war. But it's a helpful reminder to me that this community has the capacity to hold difference. That we have the capacity to hold people who are here for the work and, and people that aren't sure either and want to make sure they can still be here that we too can move the slider as we learn from each other. Now I know that my commitment to anti-racism and anti-oppression work, which I see as really core to my leadership, you know, that, that gives a tone to our platforms and our time together in this community. And so I continue to remind myself about the yes. The answer to the are we this or are we that being yes. That this is a space for all of us. For the people who want to come here to laugh and sing and make art and the people who want to come here because we do serious important work and the people who want both of those things at the same time. No one, not even either of our Felix Adlers, is all one or all the other. 
we can often hear a little Laurel or a little Yanni. And no community is all one thing either. And I think too, on this Founders Day, about the folks that help us navigate all of that. The ones that keep our vision clear and crisp, that articulate our focus goals and have us heading toward them, and who also hold the space for the community as a whole. The yes, the yes. And so this Founders Day, the last couple of years we've um, We've honored folks who have been members of the community for 25 years or more, and we've honored folks who have been significant donors to the community on Founders Day last year. This Founders Day, I want to honor folks who have served on the board at WES. So often, the group of people who manage that slider, who say yes, yes to the focus and the vision, yes to the broad community. And so I wanted to just invite, if you are um, currently serving on the board, will you rise? That's Kelly Lauren is teaching downstairs. Good job, Kelly. If you, if you are running for the board for the next year, will you rise? I'm looking at you, Trent. Don't look behind you. Stand up. <laughs> in the last 10 years, will you stand? And how about if you have served on the West Board in the last 20 years? Do we have folks? Yeah. yeah. Do we have anyone who's between 20 and 30 years having served on the West Board or more than 30 years in the room? There are people in our community who, who are in that, in that space, I know, but not here this morning. And so this Founders Day, as I think about Felix Adler, our serious, morally committed guy, and Felix B. Adler with a rhinestone in the middle of his red putty nose, as I think about our commitment to the work and our yes, to the broader space. I think about all on the board who have helped West to navigate that yes, that slider, over many years. And I find myself grateful for the yes, grateful for the earnestness, and grateful for the fun and the relationship at the same time. Founders Day doesn't really, for me, celebrate only Felix Adler that day in 1876. It celebrates the founding that we do all the time, over and over again, in this tradition that we share. The way that we invent and reinvent ethical culture every year and every month and every day, every Sunday, in fact. And I'm grateful for all of those, all of you, who reinvent it and found it.
Please start by telling us your name, 